Heavenly Father, we recognize you as the Great One. We thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And Lord, we pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit now, and we pray that we would recognize our place in submission to you. Help us as we look into your word to help us to hear what our hearts need to hear to be in the right place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're doing this sermon series entitled First Things First. We've been talking a lot about love in this series. We are to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Last Sunday we talked about holding on to our first love. And I I just want to ask you again, how is your heart doing in regard to your first love? Have there been other things that have been creeping in? Have there been any, any idols that you have allowed in your life? Or is, is God your first love and you're holding on closely to him? Today in the sermon series, we're going to talk about humility. And in my mind, there is a strong link between love and humility. Because in, in humility, I would hope that every single one of us would say, God, I love you so much that it's whatever you have for me. My life is fully given over to you. In fact, I have a, a pastor friend of mine who once said, if you're not humble, you're not a Christian. Now, now think about that for a moment. If you're not humble, you're not a Christian. What, what he meant behind that was the, the only way into this relationship with Jesus Christ is to recognize that he is Savior and Lord and, and that, that we are not supposed to be the Lord of our own lives. So this humility piece is so important in our walk with God. That's why I wanted to include it in this first things first sermon series that we're doing. Christianity is first and foremost about following who? Christ. And and I've been thinking so often lately about the two paths. So I just want you to think about the the two paths. The the one Jesus called the broad path. And and I think it's broad because it's it's easier to go on that path. I I often say that all we have to do to walk on that path is to ask ourselves, what do I want to do? But Jesus said that that path leads to destruction. But then there's the other path. There's the narrow path. And there's that small gate that we are to enter through. And I read a theologian this week who said, big-headed people can't get through the narrow gate. Isn't that kind of an interesting one? Uh, But that gate then leads to a narrow path. And on that path, we are to walk with Jesus. And and I hope that we're all humble enough to recognize that we don't all do that perfectly. That, That if we ever catch our foot slipping off that path, or if we ever sense that we have strayed into the darkness again, that we would quickly repent and come back that our hearts would be so humble that we would constantly be having these conversations with God where we ask Him, how am I doing at this? Is my heart submitted to you the way that it should be? So that's what we're going to talk about today, humility. I tried to look up the word humility in an online dictionary this week, and here, this, this is brilliant. It said, humility is the quality of, wait for it, being humble. <laughs> Don't they teach you in like third grade not to define a word by using the word itself? But uh, I I would admit though too, I've struggled to define the word humility. There's been times where we've been talking about uh, in in our devotions at home with our kids the word humble or humility. And one of our kids will ask, what does it mean to be humble? And it's actually kind of a little bit of a hard word to define with like a dictionary definition. So what I want to do instead is I want to give you kind of a word picture about humility that has to do with kids. And the reason I thought about this was because in our passage today, Jesus used uses kids as an or uses one kid as an example. Now kids, please hear this first. I'm not saying that everything that kids do is humble. I've seen plenty of temper tantrums in my day. Those are not humble things to do. But uh, there is something about kids that is humble. And I want to use this illustration. 
I am pleasantly surprised as a parent at those moments when I say to my kids, okay, everybody get in the minivan, and they do it. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. Okay, we're a normal family too. Sometimes it doesn't always happen the way we want it to. But every once in a while, and I'm, I'll use this as an example. Let's say that we're going to go visit our grandma and grandpa who live in Fargo. And our kids want to go and see grandma and grandpa. So we say, okay, kids, the minivan is packed. Get your coats and your shoes and get in the minivan, and they do it. It's just like one, two, three, four. They just go right into the minivan, and and I'm thinking to myself, this is great. I, I didn't expect it to be that easy. It should always be that easy, but I didn't expect it <laughs> to be that easy. And then I think about, I'll just use my youngest son, Timothy, as an example. He's five, and, and he has a car seat, and he can get himself into that car seat. So when we say, okay, Timothy, time to get in the minivan. We're going to Grandpa and Grandma's. Well, he wants to go to Grandpa and Grandma's house, but he can't get there on his own. He does not know how to drive. And even if he did know how to drive, he wouldn't know where to turn. So it's, it's kind of amazing to me. And this is where I'm pleasantly surprised. This idea that my son trusts my, myself and my wife so much that he would just put himself in that minivan and just go wherever we take him. Because he knows that, that we have good things planned for him. And, and that he wants to see grandpa and grandma, but he can't do that on his own. So think about that as a picture of humility. And, and think about us. We're the kid now. Every one of us. It's like, in fact, Jesus said that we have to become like little kids. We're supposed to be those people who say to God, okay, God, whatever your plan is, I'm on board. I might not even know where you're taking me, but I'm on board. That's a word picture of humility. Humility, part of it means not demanding your own way. And I, I just wonder how many of us are really good at demanding our own way. And I'm talking to myself here, too. Let's be humble people, recognizing that God leads us in good ways. Or another way that we can think about humility as we're trying to define it is you think about its opposite. And the opposite of humility would be pride. There's a verse about pride in the Bible that stands out to me. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Do any of you want to stand opposed to God? I sure hope not. So what we should do then is, is we should be those humble people. God will give grace to the humble people. You see, our world views humility as weakness. Our world might say, why don't you stand up for yourself? Why don't you demand what you want? But humble people are people who recognize that God has good ways for us, and we submit to him, and we walk with him. So we're going to look at humility t today, and I want us to be people who let God speak to our hearts to hear what we need to hear. Our, our passage today that we're going to look at first is Matthew 18, 1 through 4. That's the main passage. And then after we're done walking through that, I want to show you three Old Testament, oh, I'm sorry, they're not Old Testament, they're, there's one Old Testament and two New Testament examples of humility. And then after that, we're going to close with some application about what it means in our lives. So our main passage today is Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So in verse 1, the disciples ask this question, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And we don't know exactly why they ask that question, although it's not too hard to picture them hoping that Jesus would say, oh, of course it's you, Peter. You're just so awesome. And you too, Bartholomew. In fact, all of you are just so great. Maybe that's what they were hoping to hear because we all like to hear things like that, don't we? It's kind of human nature for us to want to think of ourselves as the greatest and for us to want other people to think of us as the greatest. 
But just because it's human nature, that doesn't mean it's right. You see, the very fact that these disciples asked this question showed that they had a lot to learn. And uh, let me use an illustration here on this one. Uh, let's picture that we're doing an award show today at Cornerstone Church, and I have uh, the award that we're going to give out today is for the most humble person at Cornerstone. Okay? Drum roll, please. The most humble person at Cornerstone. And I've got a paper inside here, and inside the paper, you know, they always, oh, I can't, I can't get it out. Okay, okay, here it is. The most humble person at Cornerstone says, if you think you deserve this award, you're probably not the most humble person here. <laughs> There are no awards for humility here. Although it, it's interesting, at the end of our passage, uh, Jesus does talk about the, being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So on, on the one hand, I would say it's okay for us to think about rewards in heaven. God put them in his words so that we would know about them. But on the other hand, the way that we would get the rewards in heaven anyways is by being humble and following Jesus in the way that he leads us. So here's the deal. True disciples should want Jesus to be great. That should be the goal of our lives, that we would magnify him, that we would glorify him, that when people would look at us, that they would see Jesus Christ. And I love John the Baptist on this. Remember, in, in John 3.30, speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist said, He must become greater, I must become less. I love that. We don't have to walk around this life demanding that things go our way or demanding that we would be known as the greatest or the best. Our hearts should be set on, on God and on giving glory to Him. We don't have to demand our own way. Things in life don't have to just go the way that we want them to because we have something greater in mind. And we all struggle with it. Uh, have you seen some of these videos floating around the internet lately? There, there's some where customers at a fast food restaurant just get irate when their orders are. Have you seen some of these? There was one where the guy like leaned over the counter and grabbed the gal by her shirt collars and started like to beat her basically. All because I think he didn't get a straw. Um, I just hope and pray that we are humble enough that when things don't go our way that, that we don't fight and demand for it to go our way. So if you go to a fast food restaurant and they give you pickles when you didn't order pickles just take them off yourself. Or, or just humbly and politely go and ask. But, you know, obviously, I use that as just an illustration. There's lots and lots of things in this life where if we think about it, we might be way too concerned about whether they're going our way or not. Think about that. How much mental energy and, and time and effort do we put into getting things to go the way that we want them to go, when all the while what we just need to do is submit to God and trust that He has a way to lead us? Okay, so we all struggle with this idea of humility and pride. That's what I wanted to get at it in, in verse 1 here. So how did Jesus respond to this? Well, in verse 2, it says he called a little child and had him stand among them. Jesus had a high opinion of children. He used a child here as an example of the way things should be. And in the next chapter in Matthew 19, remember that story where people were bringing children to Jesus and the disciples kind of thought, no, 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 the master is too busy for your little children. And what did Jesus say? There, I want to I read it. He said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Now why a child? Why did Jesus use a child as the example here? Well, I read one theologian this week who said that children recognize that, that their status does not come about by what they do for it. Little children pretty much need to receive everything that is given to them. 
They, they don't have the capacity to go and get it on their own, so they need to trust their parents. And I, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at here, that little children recognize their neediness and, and, and especially their need to be led. And, and they get the good things that they get in life by trusting that, that ultimately God will provide for them or through their parents, probably, that their parents will provide for them. So it's a great model for us because, again, in this, we're supposed to be the little children. That's what we'll get to in the next verse. We're supposed to be like little children. We're supposed to recognize that God is good and he has good plans for us. So we humble ourselves before him and let him guide us into what is good. We need to trust in God. We need to believe in him. In fact, if you were to read down in verse 6, it talks about that word believe. The little ones who believe in Jesus. So we are are to trust. And that word trust is a really active word. It means that, that we commit to going God's way instead of demanding to go our way. And then verse 3. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting what Jesus did here. Remember, the disciples' question was about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, kind of assuming that they were, they were there already. But Jesus answered their question by talking about who gets to enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, Jesus' answer is about humility. We'll see that in verse 4. I like this in verse, uh, Psalm 149, verse 4. It says, For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. God loves to look down on earth and see people who are humbly trusting him. And he pours out those blessings. He takes delight. Do you want God to take delight in you? Do you want to be crowned with salvation? Well, if so, you need humility. Or getting back to Matthew 18, verse 3, Jesus said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I think perhaps the, the key phrase in our passage today is going to be in verse 4, where it says, whoever humbles himself. But perhaps the next key word in this passage is the word change in this verse. Change. It means to turn around. It implies this idea of, of being on the wrong path, which we all were at one time and implies turning around, repenting, and trusting in God that he will lead us on the right path. And again, it's this idea of two paths. Jesus said that of the narrow path that only a few find it. It's only the humble who find that path. Now, how can you tell which path you're on? Well, there's a couple simple questions that we can ask. If we're, and it's so important. Please know it's so important for you to know which path are you on couple questions. Number one, who is your Lord? As we all were walking on this wrong path at one time, we all assumed that we were the Lord of our own lives, the master of our own lives. We did what we wanted to do in our own power, using our own wisdom to chart our own course. But Jesus is Lord, and he leads us in a different direction. So who is your Lord? And the second question just follows right after it. Do you humbly follow Jesus? Now, now, for some of us, there might be this struggle of saying, well, yes, I received Jesus as my Lord, but I wonder if I've kind of strayed a little bit, if I've been fighting too much for my own way, if I've tried to live my life as if I were on that wrong path again. For others of you, maybe you don't know if you've ever turned from the one path to the other path. And what I'd say to you today, it's great news that, that God will set you on the right path as you humble yourself before him, as you confess your sins to God and recognize your need for him and receive Jesus as your Lord. Humble people recognize that Jesus is the rightful master of our lives. 
You see, in our sin, we go in the wrong direction. Now, I, w- I was thinking about this in regard to the gospel. Okay, we often talk about knowing Jesus as Savior and Lord. Think about this in regard to two paths. We sinned, we were going in the wrong direction, but Jesus is our Savior. He saves us from that. He cleanses us from that. He sets us on the right path. And then, when we're on the right path, He's the Lord. He's the one who's in charge. We used to pretend that we were the Lord. We used to sin. We used to offend God. But now, we can be cleansed. We can be brought into this relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Don't be so set on your own plans that you stay on the wrong path. And again, I just... I really want you guys to hear that. However it needs to be said to you, just talk to your heart right now and say, heart, how are we doing at this? Am am I somebody who who demands my own way or am I somebody who is overjoyed to submit to God? Remember the story of Jonah? God told him to go and preach to the people in the city of Nineveh, but Jonah didn't want to go. He ended up getting on a boat going the opposite direction from Nineveh. But God sent a storm, and Jonah knew that the storm was for him. And remember this part of the story where Jonah told the other people on the boat, throw me overboard, the storm is for me, the storm will stop probably once you throw me overboard. So that's what they did. And I have, um, I'm not sure if it's a Bible pun or a dad joke or some perfect storm of the two, but here's what I say about this. Jonah wasn't on board with God's plans. You get it? It's funny. It's okay to laugh, all right? Um, Jonah wasn't on board with God's plans. But... God had mercy on Jonah and he gave him a second chance and he told him after the whole fish thing and spitting him up on the dry land, God told him to go again. He told him again to go and preach to the city of Nineveh and this time it says that Jonah obeyed. So Jonah had this change of heart. So we're talking about, again, that change in Matthew 18.3 that we all need to have where we become like little children where we recognize that we've been going the wrong way but we need to change. That's the humility that we all need. And Jesus even said that we need it if we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And this change is to be a dramatic, life-altering change. In fact, if you were to read down to verses 8 and 9 of this chapter, you would see Jesus telling about how if our, our hand or our foot or our eye causes us to sin, that we should cut it off or to gouge it out. And, and a lot of theologians are really quick to say, oh, he didn't really mean that. And, and I, I think I agree with the gist of their statement that um, sin is a heart issue anyways, and just, just cutting off your hand isn't going to help the heart issue of your sin, so I get that. But let's not miss the, the real thrust, the, the power of Jesus' words here, the, the idea that we should be so set against this idea of holding on to sin in our life that we would do whatever, it, whatever needs to be done to get rid of it. This change is meant to be a, a total change of life in which we, we, we follow Jesus on the path that he has for us. Is that your heart attitude? Do you just go wherever God wants you to go, do whatever he wants you to do because you trust him so much that he will lead you in good ways? Or do you dig your feet in and demand your own way? In verse 4, Jesus said, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again, that phrase, whoever humbles himself. In the parallel passage to this one in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus had lots of other things. So we're doing first things first. Listen to what Jesus said about the word first. He said, the last will be first and the first will be last. He said, whoever wants to be first must be your slave. He also said, the greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. He said, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. 
As we're trying to figure out first things first here, we have to consider this idea of humility, that our life is not about us and getting our own way. It's about humbly submitting to God and serving Him and serving others. Jesus said in Matthew 18:4, whoever humbles himself, and I take this to be good news. We can do this. Okay, there, there's lots of stuff in the, in the Christian life that we can't do. We, we often talk about that stuff that only God can do in our heart. But here it says, whoever humbles himself. So go ahead and do it. You don't have to walk around demanding your own way. You can humble yourself. And if you don't, God knows how to humble you. And believe me, it's going to be better for you to do it on your own than it is to wait for God to do it. As an act of our will, we can pick a different path than the one we would pick in our own pride. So do you have that that heart attitude that says, God, whatever you have for me, that's where I'll go. In fact, go ahead and just pray that prayer right now as as I say it again. God, whatever you have for me, that's where I will go. Humble hearts keep saying things like that to God because we trust that he leads us in good ways. We're going to continue to be tempted to think that we have our own ideas that are going to be better than God's ideas. Do you know that? We are, even as Christians, we're going to be tempted to think that our ways are better than God's ways. Humble people are going to recognize that temptation and flee from it and seek God and say, God, I want to go your way. And again, this humility is an act of love. We talked, we talked last Sunday about never leaving your first love. Well, one of the ways that we hold on to our first love is to have this humility of our hearts where, where we keep coming back to Him. We keep telling Him that we trust in Him, that we love Him, and that we will follow Him. Let's humble ourselves and follow Christ. Okay, like I said earlier, now I want to show you some biblical examples of humility. I have three of them. The, the first one's a negative example, although it turns good at the end. And then the second two are good examples of humility. In Daniel chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon had a strange dream in which he saw this huge tree which provided food and shelter for all sorts of birds and animals. Remember this dream? And then there, the, the tree was cut down and the, and the stump was left in there to be exposed to the elements for seven times, probably meaning seven years. King Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled by this dream because he didn't know what it meant, so he sought out the prophet Daniel and Daniel was able to tell him what that dream meant. And he, he said that, that the dream refers to you. You are that tree, O king. And, and he told him about how uh, unless King Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself, and acknowledge that God is the one who is sovereign over all nations, that, that, he, that King Nebuchadnezzar would be cut down and, and would have to dwell with the, the forest animals and, and be exposed to the elements like that. And it's interesting because Daniel did tell him that there would be an opportunity for him to repent, to, to be able to escape those events. So King Nebuchadnezzar had a choice. He could, he could either go on building his own kingdom, living his life to, to get what he wanted to get out of it, or he could humble himself before God and follow God's path. Let's see what he did. Daniel 4, 29-32. Twelve months later, so probably twelve months after the interpretation of the dream, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Can you hear the pride just dripping off of his lips here? I, my, my, my power. Verse 31. The words were still on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle. 
seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. King Nebuchadnezzar was powerful. God even said so. But he demanded his own way and refused to humble himself. As a result, God humbled him. Remember what Jesus said? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Too often we try to exalt ourselves. Okay, let's not do that. Learn the lesson from King Nebuchadnezzar. Don't wait seven years to humble yourself. Do it right now. But then, after seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar had a change of heart. In verse 34, at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And it says about him then that his kingdom was restored to him. And then in verse 37, he says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Take his word for it. He knows what he's talking about. But again, it took him way too long. Let's learn that lesson before it gets to that point. (coughs) Okay, let's look at another, uh, a really good example this time. Mary, the mother of Jesus. When an angel first told her that she would become pregnant and would give birth to God's son, she was a little confused as to all this would happen. You can also imagine that she, perhaps as an unmarried young woman, probably didn't want the stigma of that kind of pregnancy. She was probably a little concerned about what her fiancé Joseph would do or say. But when the angel described to her how it happened, and when the angel said nothing is impossible with God, Mary had a beautiful response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Can you hear the humility in her voice there? So again, contrast that with King Nebuchadnezzar, who was building up his own kingdom, versus Mary, who saw herself as a servant in God's kingdom. That is humility. May we, may we follow Mary's example in that and serve the Lord. And then, of course, the best example of humility is Jesus Christ himself. I love Philippians 2. In, that, in those verses here, I put 7 and 8 up on the screen. Um, I like to call this the, the double humility of Jesus. We see two stages of his humility. First, he left the glory of heaven to come to earth and to take on human flesh. So he lived in the perfect place, and yet, in humility, followed the Father's will to come here as a human. And then his humility was even further because the second step of this in verse 8 says he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Jesus didn't come down to earth from heaven because he was tired of heaven and, and needed a vacation. He came because it was the Father's will. He came also to serve us and he died for us. That's how far his humility went all the way to the cross. And remember, In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying and asking if there could be some other way besides the cross for this all to happen. But then remember what he prayed next. Say it with me if you remember it. Not my will, but yours be done. In humility, Jesus perfectly followed the path that the Father had for him. In Philippians 2.5, we're commanded to have the same mindset that Jesus Christ had, the same attitude that he had. And then right before that, in verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I want you to think about how Jesus showed us that. He is the perfect example of it. He perfectly 
not in any selfish ambition of his own, but perfectly submitted to the Father's will. He perfectly looked out to others' interests, including yours and mine, because if there's no death of Jesus on the cross, there's no salvation for us. So in humility, he obeyed the Father and he served us. The perfect example of humility. And what I want to do from there is I want to move on now to the last section of the sermon where we're going to talk about application. And I want to think about application in two parts. The two parts that Jesus Jesus showed us. Submitting to the Father and serving others. So as we close, we're going to look at humility toward God and humility toward others. As we think about humility toward God, I think of things like seeking Him and obeying Him and, and listening to what He says and following Him. Evangelical preachers like myself, we sometimes get accused of of saying that the application for every passage in Scripture is that we should read the Bible. Well, at the risk of being a cliche, I'm going to say that one of the applications of our humility here should be that we should read the Bible, okay? But don't just take my word for it. Look at Isaiah 66, 2b. The Lord says, This is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. If we're going to have humility toward God, If we're going to follow his ways, we need to get to know what his ways are. And here's where I often say that one of the most humble things that we can do is go before the Lord with an open Bible and say like Samuel did. Remember Samuel in the Old Testament? Eli told him to say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And when Samuel told the Lord that he would listen, then the Lord spoke to him and showed him what he was to say. May we be those humble people who continually open up our Bibles with humble hearts. And again, I think it's just one of the greatest ways to show our humility before God that we would look at his word, not just our eyes hitting the paper, because anybody can do that. We can check the box off like that really easily. But the, the humble heart will go one step further and say, God, what do you have for me? Is there anything in my heart that needs to change? Is there any direction that you're leading me that I'm not picking up on here? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I'm a big fan of, of getting in God's Word regularly, even every day, because what happens then, if we do this humbly, if we do it by faith, if we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, then God is going to do that work in our hearts that only He can do. Remember, we can humble ourselves. We, we can open up the Bible and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. What we can't do is transform our own hearts, but God does that as we meet with Him. So isn't that great? This, this first love that we want to hold on to, loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we need this humility of going before Him and saying, God, it's your way and not mine. So we do that in part as we, as we read Scripture. We do that as we humble ourselves before God's ways, as we tell Him that our life is His, that He can use us however He wants, just like Mary. I'm the Lord's servant. I didn't have that plan for my life, God, but now that I know it's your plan for my life, yes, I'm on board. Whatever you have for me. And then, as we consider that humility toward God, one of the ways that we can live it out is to have humility toward others as we serve them, as we look to their interests. And again, Jesus is a perfect example here, not demanding his own way, but submitting to God and God's ways for him. Humble people don't need to demand to be treated a certain way. Humble people recognize that God has got everything covered. Everything that we need is taken care of by God. He's preparing a place for us in heaven. We don't have to demand our own way here. Humble people can feel free then to look to the interests of others. Wouldn't that be kind of uh, refreshing if instead of worrying about your life all the time, you, you felt like, hey, God's just going to take care of me so I can look out for the needs of others. Try it this week, I dare you. 
Instead of just thinking about all the stuff you need, why not open your eyes and trust that, that God will take care of your needs and that God might even be able to use you to help meet other people's needs? I think you'll like that life better, actually. I actually think there will be more joy and peace in that kind of a life. It's ironic. Selfish people are building a life for themselves. But guess what? We're not very good at that. We don't... Humans in general don't have a good track record of being able to get exactly what we want. But we can humble ourselves before the Lord. We can... I'm going to put these verses up in Philippians 2, 3, and 4 again. We don't have to have this selfish ambition or vain conceit. We can consider others better than ourselves. We don't just have to look to our own interests. We can also look to the interests of others. Have you ever heard the acronym that that true humility is spelled J-O-Y? So it's the word joy. Uh, The first J would be Jesus. First, we look to Jesus. We submit ourselves to God and to his will, trusting that God will take care of us and lead us in ways that are good. And then second... We look to others. The J-O-Y, the O is for others. We look to others and the needs around us. And then after that, the the Y is for yourself. That that as we're following Jesus, as we're looking to the needs of others, um, then we can consider what our needs are as well, but we trust God. And I think that that is going to bring about true joy and peace in our lives as we trust God like that, as we look outside of ourselves. Again, we don't have to be prideful people who demand our own way. And one of the things that really hit me this week is this thought that my pride doesn't advance God's kingdom. That's a humbling thought for me because we're all tempted with pride. I'm tempted with pride. I want people to think well of me. But if we live our lives as if we're, we're just trying to make ourselves look good, that's not going to advance God's kingdom. And, and that's a humbling thought for me. Because I, I don't want myself to get in the way of God. In fact, sometimes I pray, God, don't hold me against the other people. God, I want you to do your work in their lives, and please don't let me get in the way. My pride is not going to advance God's kingdom, and neither is your pride. So let's, let's lay it before God and say, God, it's your way, it's not my way. We don't need to live our... We don't need to make ourselves look good We shouldn't live to try to bring about our own honor and glory. In humility, we serve God, we serve others, we submit our lives to God, and we follow Him wherever He leads. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we we all recognize that we struggle with this, that we all have our our own hopes and desires and dreams and plans for our own lives. But God, I pray that we would all just lay them down before you right now, and that we would humbly follow you, that we would humble ourselves, like Jesus said, that we would change and become like little children who trust that our Heavenly Father will give us everything that we need. So God, we pray that we would follow you. Whatever you have for us, God, we give ourselves to you, to be your servants, to meet with you, to allow you to transform our hearts, to make us more like Jesus. God, show us where there's pride in our lives and help us to repent of it. Help us to walk humbly with you on the path that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.